The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. All right, and then we have a really special thing happening today. Right now we have a baby dedication. And so this is Justin. Justin is our student ministries pastor, and he's holding Reuben. This is Asher. That's Emma. This is his beautiful wife, Rochelle. And then this is the gorgeous Faye Dorothea Beth. So it's just so cute. All right. And so this is what a baby dedication is. This is the parents' commitment to dedicate themselves and their children to raising them in the faith and raising them to have a relationship with Jesus. But this is not a one-sided thing. The second part of this is it falls on you guys as our body of Christ. And as we do life together, you guys will be taking a commitment to help them. And they have four. So right, they're going to need a little bit of help. Help them by loving them in prayer. So those of you that serve in our kid ministry makes a huge difference for helping our children come to know who Jesus is by your faithful serving. And so this dedication is for them, but it's also for us as a church body to say, we're going to come alongside you guys and help you raise your beautiful children. And so with that, I would like you guys, we're going to pray for them. And in that, if you guys want to reach out your hands and pray for them, and then Justin is going to pray over beautiful Faye. Heavenly Father, God, we are so thankful for the gift of children. And God, we are so thankful that you love us enough to give us the opportunity to partner alongside you with these kids. And so, Father, I just pray for the Swannies, for Justin and Rochelle as they parent four children, and God, as they agree to lead them and raise them to know you, as they model that in their actions and their behaviors, and Father, that we would come alongside them as a church. God, that we would hold them up in prayer, that we would pray for them in sleepless nights, that we would pray for them during the hard times of teenagers and junior high, God, that we would not forget our responsibility and what it takes as a community of believers to come alongside families, that we would partner in raising children that would grow to love you and honor you, and God, that we would not forget how much you love the little children. And so, God, that this would not be a distraction for people, but, God, that this would be a moment to recognize the great love that you have for your children. Here come the waterworks, so bear with me, guys. Sorry. <clears throat> Jesus, wow, I just, <laughs> I stand here and, and look at this beautiful family that you've blessed us with. And, uh, Lord, being told that we would never be able to have children. To see them standing here now, Lord, and especially baby Faye, who's a miracle. Lord, when they said that you have a 0% chance of having kids, that you said no. <laughs> so, Lord, we just praise you today for that miracle first and foremost, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, a prayer of protection over us, Lord, over Rochelle and I, as we seek you to lead our children well, Lord, and for baby Faye, I just ask that, above all else, Lord, that you would just give us 
the humility as she gets older, Lord, to say sorry when we make mistakes. Lord, that we would love her well, and ultimately, Jesus, that she would be able to see you in our lives, in our words, and in our actions, Lord. And that one day that she would be able to have a faith of her own. We pray that in your name, Jesus, we know that you, you are leading that, Lord. And I just ask that you would use us as your vessels for her. Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. Christmas, we are kicking off our Christmas series here at Crosspoint. And of course, at Crosspoint, we don't do anything you would ever expect. So we're going to be a little unexpected today. But with that, if you guys have your Bibles and would like to join me in reading scripture, we are going to be in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be little baskets of Bibles all throughout the chairs where you can join us in reading. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in snuggly strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those who with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what happened. The shepherds told everyone what happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Thank you, Beth. Can we give Beth a round of applause for reading for us? Thank you, guys. We like to clap and celebrate people around here, even for little things. So, fun fact about me, which you probably just saw, I'm a feeler. I'm an ENFP. Um, It's funny, Beth and I actually have this thing going on where she went to a seminar where they did this personality test, and they told, someone told her that she was the biggest feeler that they had ever seen. She scored 96%, I think. And then when I took my test, I was 98%. So I'm actually the biggest feeler in the world. But before we jump in, I'd like to just take a moment to pray over our time together. So if you guys would join me, that'd be great. Jesus, thank you so much for every person in this room. Lord, everyone that decided to show up today, even in the middle of the rain, uh, that's a hard decision. Lord, families, kids, all that. Lord, we know that you have each one of us here for a very specific reason. I ask that we would slow down, put aside distractions. Whatever it is that we've come in here with today, Lord, will you just lay it at your feet and hear whatever it is that you have for us. It's in your holy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So another fun fact about me, 
I, I love movies. I mean, if you know me, I am a huge movie nerd. I grew up watching the old classic, like, 80s and 90s action films and comedy films, like all the old Harrison Ford action movies. I love those, like The Fugitive, all that. So my dad, my dad and I used to bond really well over movies. You throw a he and I in a room, and we're those annoying people that will just start quoting a movie back and forth, and everyone's like, can we stop, please? Are we done yet? And we'll just keep going until somebody stops us. Um, but I'm a huge movie nerd. It's been something I've loved. And recently I watched one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Inception. Has anyone seen Inception? Man, it's such a good film. Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hardy. It's, it's a movie that's got a fantastic cast. Tom Hardy's like one of my favorites. Um, fantastic cast and one of the most unique plots um, that you've, you've ever seen. And so if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil too much, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and explain it the best way that I can. So Leo is a contract thief who specializes in stealing valuable information from people in power, like business CEOs, etc., through the use of dream technology, okay? So I'm going to explain that. So that he and his team, they will find these people, they'll put them to sleep, and then they will go into their dreams and go into their subconscious and steal this information. It's, it's, it's a unique concept, right? But the, the kicker in this movie is that someone offers Leo a job that's not to steal information, it's rather to plant an idea in somebody else's mind and make them think that they thought it themselves. And one of the characters says, it's impossible, you can't do it. He says, if I tell you not to think about pink elephants, what do you think about? Pink elephants, right? He's like, you can't, it can't be done. You can't incept an idea into somebody's head. But the real catch is that Leo had already done it one time before and succeeded. And I'm not going to spoil it for you. It came out in 2009, so if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's a fantastic movie. It's so good. But... Inception's one of those movies that's full of unexpected twists and turns. It's just every, every scene, you're like, what is happening? And it's also one of those movies that when, you, when you're done watching it for the first time, you're like, I didn't understand any of that. And then you have to go back and watch it again. And then again, right? And usually around the third or fourth time, you're like, oh, okay, things start to click and you get it. And even after watching Inception again the other night for probably the 10th plus time in my life, I was still picking up on things that I had missed from watching it before. I was still catching things like, wow, I missed that. And so I say all that cross point to encourage each one of you here today. I don't know what your expectations are coming in here this morning on December 11th, 2022. I don't know if you've been born in church your entire life and you've heard this Christmas story a hundred times and you know it like the back of your hand. And maybe you're sitting here like, yep, it's the same old thing. I'm not going to get anything out of this. Maybe there's something that you've missed here. Maybe there's something today that even though you've heard this story so many times that God just wants to reveal to you. So stick along. Let's, let's put, I want to challenge you guys to put aside whatever expectations that you've walked in here with today and let's see what Jesus has for us to uncover. And so Beth already read uh, one portion of our story today, and the, the title of our message is Unexpected Places. It's, it's where did God reveal this message, these unexpected places that he gave the sign to, and then specifically, who received that message in these unexpected places? And so right off the bat, we see that the most significant announcement in human history was not announced in a temple, was not announced in a palace, to a group of elite people like we would probably expect it to. It was announced in the middle of nowhere to the most 
unlikely people. And what this Christmas story does so well for us, you guys, is that it so wonderfully shows us how God works and that it's often in the ways that we least expect. And so the big question when we think about these shepherds that Beth just read for us and another group of people that we'll get to, the the wise men, the magi, is why did God choose these people? Why? Why them? What was so significant about that? And so I want to take you guys now to the first scene that we have outside of Bethlehem in the fields with the shepherds watching over their sheep. And the first thing we think here is that nothing was happening. It's the middle of nowhere. There's nothing going on here. It's not buzzing with people. There's, there's stinky, smelly sheep with shepherds watching over them. And so I don't know if you know anything about shepherds, but when you spend a lot of time around sheep, you start to smell like them. And so shepherds were, were probably pretty stinky people. They probably didn't, most people didn't really want to hang around them, right? And so some other things about shepherds, and some of this you, you probably already know, but shepherds usually had little to no education. It's said that these shepherds were likely illiterate when the angels came to them, right? So they, they had little to no education. Shepherds were usually outcasts of society. It's argued that it's argued that these shepherds may not have been like the lowest on the socioeconomic food chain um, because they may have been the ones that were watching over the temple flock that slightly elevated their status a bit, but at the end of the day, they're still shepherds. They're still stinky shepherds watching over sheep, right? Someone, or sorry, shepherd, what we see throughout scripture is that shepherds hold a special place in God's heart though. We get this idea all throughout scripture, right? I think back to Samuel, right? Who was the second king that would succeed King Saul, the first king of Israel? A young shepherd named David, right? The Old Testament goes on to call Jesus the good shepherd, right? And then Jesus would tell parables and stories about shepherds, right? And this this idea is all throughout. It's all over the place. And it reinforces an idea that is woven throughout scripture. And I want to share it for you guys. It comes out of 1 Samuel chapter 16, in verse 7. I want to read it for you guys. So this is, at God commands Samuel, the prophet, to go find Jesse in Bethlehem. And Jesse has his sons, and he says, I want you to go and find the next king, right? So Samuel goes, and he finds Jesse, and he takes a look at Jesse's first son, and Samuel goes, that's got to be him. This is the guy. And in verse 7, it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man, I love that passage so much. And I love the story of David. It's so relatable. This young mangy shepherd, right? And so we get this idea all throughout scripture. And you can, the first point on your note sheet, you can write this down, is that God uses those that don't fit the mold. God uses those that don't fit the mold. Why? Why does God use those that don't fit the mold? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, If you know me, I love to quote C.S. Lewis around here. So here's another one for you. It comes from his book, Mere Christianity. It's a fantastic book. You should read it if you haven't. But he has an entire chapter uh, devoted to what's called the great sin. Does anyone know what the great sin is? Pride. Pride is what he calls the great sin. And this is what Lewis has to say about pride. He says, pride is the utmost evil. Pride leads to every other vice. And I love this part. He says, it is the complete anti-God state of mind. 
Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. Man, what a remarkable statement that is. So why does God use those that don't fit the mold? Well, he does it ultimately to highlight his glory, not ours. He uses those that don't fit the mold like the shepherds to highlight his glory, not ours. This is the big idea that we get from the shepherds. So why? Why would God choose them? To highlight his glory. To highlight his glory, not ours. And so what we can learn from the shepherds is that it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about how good you look. It's not about how smart you are. It's not about how much you've studied the Bible. It doesn't matter. God uses those that don't fit the mold to highlight his glory. So none of it matters at the end of the day. None of it. After the angels appear to the shepherds, I love their response. Did you catch it? They said, let's go. Let's go see this this thing that has happened. And as I was reading this and thinking about this, I don't know if you guys know, but shepherds had a very important job of watching sheep. And that was not an easy task. I actually had a video that I wanted to share with you guys. Someone showed me last night, but we, we couldn't get it. But it's this video of a sheep stuck in a trench, right? And a kid, uh, you've probably seen it. The kid pulls the sheep out and the sheep starts to pounce off and then it jumps right back into the trench, right back into the trench. And, and you probably know some things about shepherds, but I want to share two important things with you. One, they had to watch out for predators. There were a lot of nasty predators at this time in the land of Israel, right? Even before this, we see that young David fought off a lion to protect his sheep, right? There's lepers. There's all sorts of predators that shepherds had to look out for, right? And so that was an important job that they had. But then secondly, and I found this so interesting, when sheep go to lie down, there's two things that can happen. If the ground is unlevel or if their wool is too thick, they can actually roll onto their backs in this position called cast down. I don't know if you've heard that term. It's called cast down. And when a sheep is in this cast down position, if they're not righted in time, they can start to suffocate because the gas starts to trap in their stomach and they'll suffocate. And so shepherds had to watch out for all of this. They had to be on guard. They had to watch. And then it says that they, they left their flock. Let's go see this thing that has happened. And they left their flock. And granted, the passage doesn't tell us whether or not the shepherds had left their flock into somebody else's care, right? We don't know. But what we do know is that regardless, the shepherds left something very, very important to them to go meet Jesus. They left something very important to go meet with Jesus. And they didn't hesitate. I think for us, oftentimes, what we can learn from this is that it It's hard to put some important things in our life aside to go meet with Jesus. I mean, am I right? We have jobs, we have lives, we have families. We have things that are important to us. I can't just walk away from that. But I think that if we can realize how significant and amazing Jesus actually is, that it makes it a little bit easier to step back from our busy and important lives, even for just a moment, to go commune with Jesus and meet with him. So we have so much here that we can learn from these shepherds. And then after they had met with Jesus, it says that they went and they told everyone what they had seen. And I love this so much. This isn't a main point, but I, I don't want us to miss this. And we've already briefly touched on it, that it doesn't matter how good you look. It doesn't matter how smart you are. The, if these illiterate shepherds had the boldness to go share with everyone about Jesus, then you and I have no excuse, guys. We have no excuse. 
These illiterate shepherds can share Jesus with people. We can do the same. We can do the same. And so I, I wish that I had more time. I would love to unpack everything that we could about the shepherds, but I don't have that time. And so right now I want to shift to our second scene. And you guys can be there if you'd like. The passages are going to be up on the screen, but it comes from Matthew chapter 2. We're going to jump there, and I'm going to read a story for you guys about the second scene that we have. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd, there it is again, the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And so we see the second scene here in this second group of people that were chosen to receive this message and sign about the coming Messiah. And and it says these wise men, right? And that's not their actual name. That's what they're referred to commonly. But what they were actually known as were magi, right? This term magi referred to wise men. Um, When we think about these people, there are some unique things about them. Magi were usually very rich, very smart. Um, Most of them studied astronomy, I said astrology the other night, so I need to be careful. Astronomy, right, which was actually considered a field of science during this time. So they were scientists, right? Um, Some of them dabbled in magic and sorcery. So whatever you want to call these guys, magi, sorcerers, wise men. In reality, when we think about these things, we realize that they really had no business traveling that far to go see a baby. I mean, am I right? When you think about these times, what kind of business did they have? Why were they going? And so when people, when scholars have tried to study the Magi over the years, the big question is this. Why did they go and how did they know? Why did they go and how did they know? It says that they were from far eastern lands. How did they know? Um, Again, scholars have tried to figure this out from a historical standpoint over the years. Um, They say that it's likely that these Magi were associated from the time of Babylon when the Babylonians took uh, the Jews into captivity, the exile of the Jews um, during Daniel's time. If you remember the story of Daniel, right? The Jews were stripped away from their homes, their families, everything they knew, and Daniel, and, and held captive in Babylon, right? And if you know a thing or two about Daniel... Daniel was given this extraordinary gift of interpreting dreams, and so he interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon's dreams, and right, and so he was elevated to this high position of status. And I want to share a verse with you. It's Daniel 248. 
It says, Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all his wise men. Chief over all his magi. So Daniel, and if you know Daniel, all throughout his time in Babylon, was very obedient to following God. And very obedient to sharing with people about who God, the God of Israel was. And so what I think we can gather from this is that if Daniel's chief over all the Magi, they probably learned a thing or two from Daniel about the God of Israel. They probably learned a thing or two about Old Testament prophecy that told us about the coming Messiah. And so that answers the question for us. They knew because they had probably read the prophecies. And we'll touch more on that in a minute because it's so awesome. It's so good. But I want you to think about this now. And this is so easy for us to glance over, guys, because, again, we've heard this story so many times. But when you look at this from a cultural standpoint, when you think about the fact that Matthew here, who's writing, his primary audience is to Jewish people, how do you think they would feel knowing that the Magi, who were associated with the people that held their, pe- their ancestors in captivity, would feel about receiving this sign about the Messiah? That's a little bizarre when you think about that, Right? Like, why them? God, why would you choose them? Really? Like our distant enemies? And I think that Matthew's trying to highlight an important truth for them, but also for us, you guys. Jesus is not reserved for just the people that you like. Jesus is not reserved for just you or the people that you like. What about our enemies? What about the people that have hurt us? Can we keep going? Is that too far? Is Je- can they be used by Jesus? Do we believe that? Because I don't know how they would have felt about this. But I think about in my life, can the people that have hurt me so deeply be used by Jesus? Is there room for them? Is the message reserved for them? And the ultimate answer is yes. And, and the next point that you guys can write on your note sheet here is that God uses those that are far from him. God uses those that are far from him. Right? These magi that were from far eastern lands, God uses them. Let's talk about Paul for a second. Anyone remember Paul who was imprisoning and murdering Christians thinking it was in the name of Jesus? Right? If God can use someone like Paul, he can use anybody. God uses those that are far from him. And notice how awesome God is here, guys. Oh, this is so cool. What do astronomers study? Stars, right? What sign did God use to lead the wise men to Jerusalem? A star. How cool is that? And that's not just a coincidence. That comes from Old Testament prophecy. And I want to share that for you guys. It comes from Numbers 24, verse 17. It says, I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob a scepter will emerge from Israel. This is talking about the coming Messiah. God used a star to meet these people exactly where they were at, right in the middle of their ignorance, their sin, whatever. God said, I'm going to meet you there, and I'm going to lead you to Jesus. He didn't call them out of the lifestyle that they were in. He used something that they would understand so that they could see him. How amazing is that? How incredible is that? He met, I just love that. He met them right in their ignorance and their sin, looking for God in all the wrong places. 
to go and see Jesus. And again, I wish that we had so much more time to unpack this, but I think that there's two big things that we can learn from the shepherds and from the magi. And you can write these down, these next two points. You don't have to have it all together before meeting Jesus. And you don't have to know everything to be used by Jesus. You don't have to have it all together before meeting Jesus. And you don't have to know everything to be used by Jesus. I mean, right What a clear picture we get from these two groups of people, Crosspoint. They didn't have it all together. The illiterate shepherds, these these ignorant magi from far eastern lands who probably had no business being here. These are the kinds of people that God chooses to use. And I'm going to tell you why here soon, because I think it's so awesome. But as I think about these people and, and... I love to climb inside the story and try and step inside people's shoes. I love to try and feel their emotions, right? I think that when we read the Bible often, these characters pop up on the page when we read it, and then they're gone the second that we turn the page, right? And we forget that they were real people with real lives and real emotions and real struggles. I think about the shepherds receiving the sign from the angels on their way to go see Jesus. They're probably like, what is happening right now? Why me? Why would God choose us? What's happening? And the magi are the same. Like, what? It's incredible when we dive inside the story to see what's happening. And I think about what their expectations must have been. What their expectations about God must have been. About what their lives must have been. And then I think about my own life. And what my expectations about God are. What my expectations for my life are. And then even further, I think back to what were my expectations about God before I met him? Growing up, what, what, how were these expectations formed? And I, I thought so much about this, and I want to share some of these things with you guys, because I think that we start to develop these things so early on in our lives, and then it just becomes so routine and, and, and such a thing that we, we hold to in our minds, and we don't even recognize what's true, because we didn't go see for ourselves. But I, part of my story growing up, there were two unique things about me, two unique things. One, I was very short. I didn't hit five foot till I was a sophomore in high school. I was, just, I was a short little dude. And then the second thing, I grew up with a skin disease called ichthyosis vulgaris, which is like these weird, gross, patchy, scaly spots that show up all over my body. And so those two things combined uh, left me to be... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? I, w- I was prone to a lot of bullying back then, right? And so a lot of my early years, I felt insignificant. I felt like I didn't hold any value. I felt like I couldn't ever be used for anything of a greater purpose, right? Um, and I, rela- I felt like I related so much with the shepherds in that sense, right? These outcasts. No one probably wanted to be around them much, right? And then another thing that I realized, an expectation that I held, was I always heard people growing up say, well, the Bible's just a bunch of rules, God just, wants to follow, God just wants you to follow a bunch of rules. And I believed it because I heard it so much. The Bible's just a bunch of rules. Until I actually opened up the Bible for myself and realized that that's not true at all. Like there's so much more than that. But I just believed it because I hadn't gone to go see for myself. And what do we see these two groups of people do? They went to go see for themselves. They put aside their expectations about who God was, whatever, to go meet Jesus, to go see for themselves. When you think that you can't be used by God, like the shepherds, maybe, and then you realize that he actually so deeply desires to use you, remember to highlight his glory, not ours. 
even though they'd been discredited and invalidated and viewed the way they were by others, outcasts. Steve, Pastor Steve shared a, uh, reminded me of a, a passage that I want to share with you guys. It's so good. Uh, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26. It says this. Paul says this. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world. Can we say people too there maybe? God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Man. And don't we just see that ring true in this story with these groups of people cross point? How true is that? Another thing I realized is that at an early age, we, we start to realize that everything in our lives is kind of transactional, right? You want to get paid? You better work for it, right? Nothing's going to come for free. My dad always told me growing up, he said, the only, two things, two, the only two free things that happen in life is taxes and death. That's it. And I was like, man, dad, wait a But everything's transactional. Relationships. What you get out is what you put in, right? Relationships are a two-way street. We like to use that terminology a lot, right? But there's kind of this transaction with everything. And then we read this story and realize that that's not what's happening here. God is calling these people regardless of anything that they have to offer. offer. Nothing. They have nothing to give. But God's calling them to meet Jesus anyway. And I love that. And that's such a shift in our expectations because we're so used to that. And as much, oh man, I gotta go. As much as these people are meant to be an encouragement for you and I to maybe relate with on some level, there's also something deeper going on here, and this is the best part, you guys. There's a third group of people in this story that I didn't talk about yet. Did you realize when it said that the Magi arrived in Jerusalem and asked, where's the newborn king of the Jews? It says that everybody in Jerusalem was disturbed when they heard this. There's a group of people here that for centuries before this, these people that God had chosen to be a light for the world, to, to show God's glory to the rest, rest of the world, missed the entire point. They missed the whole reason why, why God had called them originally. They had missed it. Remember the great sin that we just talked about a little bit ago? Pride. What had happened with these chosen people, God's, the Jewish people, the Israelites, whatever, is that they had become so filled with pride, and in their pride and misunderstanding, it led them to think something along the lines of this. God chose us, so this message is for us. This is ours. It's not meant to be shared with the Gentiles. right? And we see this throughout the New Testament. This is a wrestle that they deal with, but we see that that's happening here. And I want to read a passage for you guys. It comes from Genesis chapter 12. In verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. This is the best part. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And the big thing that we get from this story, you guys is that God wants to use you and I 
and those people for the sake of others. That's all what it's for. It's, it's not a message that's reserved for a specific group of people. God wants to use you for the sake of everybody around you, just like we saw the shepherds do, right? And so what that means for us, Crosspoint, is that when we come here once a year and, hear, and expect to hear a great Christmas story, right, and see these beautiful decorations, which is all great, but if we're not careful, we can miss the point that God desired that message to go outside of these walls to everybody that we know so that they would be able to see what Jesus has done for us. That's the entire point. It's not meant to stay here. It's never what it was intended to be. That we would follow in the footsteps of the stinky shepherds, you guys, and share this message with everyone that we see. And I love this part. I didn't touch on this earlier, but you know what it says the shepherds did? They told everyone what they had seen. Going back to this idea that you don't have to know everything. Are you able to just tell people what Jesus has done in your life? It's as simple as that, guys. That's going to hold so much power in people that don't know him. What has Jesus done for you? You're the only one that's qualified to share that story. You know that? And you don't have to have it all together to be able to share that story but that we would follow in their footsteps and take this message outward. What a challenge that is for us. Our worship team is going to start making their way up, and as people are coming up on stage, please stick with me. I have a little bit more that I want to share with you guys. Where has this Christmas message found you in 2022? December 11, 2022. Where, where are you at? What expectations have you walked in here with this morning? about your life, about God, about the way he views you. Maybe with everything that you've been wrapped up in this year, with everything that you've had going on, maybe this feels like the last place that you should be sitting right now. Are you able to put aside those expectations to realize that this message was reserved for you? Maybe for you, the question, not like the Israelites of, why them, why would God choose them? It's more like, why me? Why would God choose me? I've, I have nothing to contribute I have nothing to offer God. Why would he choose me like I felt growing up? And guess what? That's 100% true. You don't have anything to offer. Take comfort in that. It's not on your shoulders. You don't have to carry that pressure. Remember, he wants to highlight his glory, not ours. Not ours. And it reminds me so much of what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, this wrestle that he has with God. He says that God gave me a thorn in my side to prevent me from becoming proud prideful, right? And he says, three times I begged the Lord to take it away. And you know what God's response was to Paul? He said, my grace is sufficient. But then more than that, he says, my power works best in weakness. His power works best in your and my flaws, you guys. So yeah, relate with these groups of people that this message about the Messiah was shared with, because that's you and me. How beautiful is that, that God uses these people to encourage us to say, you don't have to have it all together. It's not about you. Do you have the boldness and courage to just share, share what Jesus has done for you? And the best part about this story, guys, at the end of the day, I don't have to know what you've walked in here with. I don't have to know your story to say with 100% certainty that this message was reserved for you. It doesn't matter. 
So that we should celebrate that fact today that whatever's, whatever's weighing on your mind and on your heart today with whatever this year has looked like, we should be able to celebrate the fact that Jesus has called each and every one of us to commune and be with him. Praise God for that fact, you guys. The last thing that these two groups of people did when they met with Jesus, baby Jesus, they had very different reasons for going to meet with him. But they both had the same response. They bowed down and worshiped him. Are we able to put aside our expectations this morning and come before our Savior to worship him? Are you able to do that with me here in this room this morning? Put it aside and let's worship our Savior together. So we're going to sing some songs right now to Jesus and about Jesus. I want to invite you guys, if you need prayer for anything today, our prayer team is going to be there in the back of the house. They would love to pray for you with whatever's been going on this year. Share with them. Let them pray for you. And then next, we in the four corners of the room, we have some tables of communion where we take a piece of bread and some juice to remember and symbolize what Jesus would go on and do for us. That, yeah, we celebrate Christmas to celebrate his birth and his coming, but ultimately we celebrate what he would do on the cross for us that he gave up his life for each one of us. We're going to pray and then we're going to worship. Jesus, help each one of us right now to just put aside whatever it is. Whatever we've walked in here with, Lord, it's nothing compared to the love and grace that you have. That we would put it aside and that we would just sit and worship you for your glory and in your name, Jesus. If my heart is overwhelmed and I cannot hear your voice, I hold on to what is true, though I cannot see. If the storms of life they come and the road ahead gets deep, I will lift these hands in faith. I will Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.